Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. God has written us a love letter known as the Bible. So it's not surprising that God's last words to us in this love letter are those of encouragement and hope and exhortations. He wants us to know what we need so that we're prepared, ready to meet him in his heaven. Will you listen and take action as we read Jesus' last words to us? I'm Debbie Blank, ready to be challenged by Jesus to serve him with all my heart. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. How much does God love us? John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we also know through Revelation that he will utterly destroy the source of ancient evil which has worked without ceasing to destroy us, our world, our future, and our relationship with him. In Revelation, we have seen scenes of amazing destruction as God in his fearful and righteous wrath destroys the powers of evil. We have now read to the end of the book, and we know God wins. We have seen in advance his complete and awesome victory, his amazing glory, and his glorious kingdom. But I think in the end, the most amazing part of this story to me is God's continuing love and grace for any who would still turn to Jesus and be saved. The good news is that it's not too late, but the time is short. So let's listen to Jesus' final words and how the book of Revelation and the entire Bible ends. Thanks, Jackie, for that brief summary of Revelation. The most important part of Revelation is it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, we are met with this wonderful Savior of ours, and we are encouraged throughout to see him for who he is and how he's going to be glorified when he is recognized as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's so kind in this book to give us two chapters about what heaven is going to be like with him the last two chapters of the Bible, so that we can look forward to that. That is our hope. That is our focus, is eternity with Jesus in heaven. So it's only natural he wants to prepare us in his final words to make sure that we make sure that we know him as our Lord and Savior. So the passage begins in Revelation 22, 8 and 9, with John speaking. Now, we haven't seen John speak since chapter one. It's all been Jesus or Jesus giving information to his angels to present to John. Here it says, and I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. This is so important because if you read the first few chapters in Hebrews, you'll find out that the Jews were used to worshiping angels. Angels were involved in a lot of activities in the Old Testament. The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ was called the angel of the Lord. Not an angel, but the angel of the Lord. 
But in many other places, you see angels doing God's work. So it's natural that John, after seeing all these things, that the angel showed him that Jesus had spoken, that he had seen throughout this book, that he would worship him. But the angel pointed John to the only person to be worshiped, and that's God. You and I need to worship God. As we consider these last verses of being prepared, we realize how important it is to worship God and worship him only. In this day and age, we have a lot of different gods. We have cult gods. We have Hindu gods. We have Buddhist gods. We have Islamic gods. But there is only one true God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, his son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, the Trinity God. That's the only God we are to worship. And we're reminded right here by this angel. It's so important that John, in his humility, gives us this witness, the impact of what he's been through. We've talked about how long it's taken us to get through this study. It takes a long time to really study this. But when John saw these visions, it was boom, 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 one right after the other. So at the end of all of this, the impact on him must have been just something we can't even imagine. And so we could see where he might in just in a weakened state, just his knees might just crumble up from under him. And then he gives this adulation or worship to the angel, and he confesses that to us so that we know that that's not to be done. That's not the right thing to do. He, in a weak moment, did it because of all of this overwhelming information, but the angel did not accept worship. Jesus accepts worship, but the angels do not. They know how terrible it is, what Satan did and what Satan wanted and his desires. So it's absolutely clear here, do not worship anyone but God. So our focus is that, worshiping Jesus, worshiping God. You make a good point, and that is that after everything he's seen, John's immediate response is to worship. He was just worshiping the angel because that's who was there and who had shown him a lot of these things. But that's his response. That's what God wants our response to be, is to worship him after we've seen everything in this book and everything else in the Bible. Do we worship him? Is he worthy of our worship? Do we see his word as so truthful and so important that we worship him through it? Well, that takes us to the next point in Revelation 22.10, which says, And he, the angel, said to me, John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So the angel is telling John, proclaim the truth, which is a natural response to John's desire to worship God. He wants to share it with other people. If we love God and if we are enticed by his word to grow closer to him, we want to proclaim it too. And in this case, the angel said, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, why would John even consider sealing it up? Because there are other places in scripture where God says, seal up these things. For example, in Revelation 10, 4, God told John to seal up the thunder judgments and not to share those. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel was told to seal up the prophecies of the book. Nobody could have understood it back then. But 400 years later, and then now as we get into the return of Jesus Christ, those two different time pockets were able to see the results of those prophecies and what they meant. So John is told, don't seal up the words of these prophecies. Instead, proclaim them, be obedient, be worshipful. 
be announcing to everyone else, not only what you've seen that he's written in this book, but everything about John as a witness to Jesus Christ. Because you recall in the very first few verses of Revelation, John has declared a witness of Jesus Christ. So he is told to tell everybody about Jesus. Proclaim the truth because the time is near. It's right at the door. Always be ready. We talked about that last week. This is the imminency of Jesus Christ. We don't know when he's going to come. We certainly know the times are getting more ripe for him to return. But the time is always near. Jesus could come at any moment. So we have to be proclaiming his truth so that nobody's going to be left behind. In Revelation twenty two eleven, John goes on to write, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, but let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Now that to me is so strange to be found here as God is talking about the marvels of heaven and now preparing us for the end so that we can be with him in heaven. But when I look at that, I realize that what God is saying is choose righteousness now. If you're doing wrong, continue, go ahead and do what's wrong. That's up to you. It's your decision what you do. But if you have chosen to practice righteousness, continue to practice righteousness. You see, whatever we choose now on this earth, whether it's wrong and filthy, as this verse says, or righteous and holy, that's our decision. We make the decision now. God is a God of second chances here on this earth, but he's not when it comes to eternity. We can't change our minds later. We can't think that we can live a filthy life on earth and be honored by God in heaven with him. It won't happen. And the fact is, the people that live that way really aren't even thinking of Jesus in eternity. They're just thinking of themselves in the here and now. So God's warning us, choose righteousness now. Don't be caught up in the lie that, well, if we're good people, we're going to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. That a lot of good people, they're going to be in hell because they have not believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They chose the wrong path here on earth. So Jesus is cautioning us, don't do that. We have free will. God's not going to force anything upon us. We do have that choice. So he's saying, make the right choice. Make the right choice. And there will come a time when that seals your fate. So choose him now. That's right. And if you choose Jesus you'll receive rewards. He tells that in the next verse. Verse 12 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Again, we see that quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. He's talking here about his rewards for the believers, those who follow Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes to take us out of this world, either through the rapture or through death, we are going to be rewarded. We're going to receive rewards for things that we've done in the body. First Corinthians three eleven through 15 explains what those rewards are like. That says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So therefore, Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, 
because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now think about that. If fire was to be laid under wood, hay, and stubble, what would happen? It'd be burned up because those are burnable objects. However, if the fire is laid under gold, silver, even precious stones, but under gold and silver, what happens there is they survive. They get more pure because the impurities are brought to the top, but the pureness of those metals surfaces. So God's saying is that all of our works are going to be judged. And the works that we've done that honor Jesus Christ, those works will remain and we will receive rewards for them. The works that we have done that don't honor Jesus, they're going to be burned up. They have no value. That matches up with 2 Corinthians 5.10, the judgment seat of Christ, which reads, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking to Christians here, to believers in Corinth that each one of us may be recompensed for the deeds which we have done in the body, whether they be good or bad. That means each one of us will be recompensed, receive rewards for what we've done. And when it says good and bad, it doesn't mean that we're going to be judged on our sin because that was taken care of at the cross. It means the deeds that we have done, if they're good, honoring, beneficial to the kingdom of God or bad, meaning worthless to the kingdom of God is what it means. And that doesn't mean that what we've done is a sin that's not beneficial to the kingdom of God. It just didn't grow or help as God intended. Going back to 1 Corinthians 3, we're told in verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as through fire. Again, that matches with 2 Corinthians 5.10 and right here, as we just read in verse 12 of Revelation 22, you and I have rewards awaiting us in heaven. Wow, we will be so unworthy to have those rewards because it's Jesus who empowers us through his Holy Spirit to do his work. And yet he's going to reward us for the things that he empowered us to do. What a gracious and caring and loving God he is. And the scripture you used is such a clarifying scripture because sometimes when people hear works, they think, oh, salvation. And so this clarifies this is not about salvation. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But if there are still works done for the kingdom, then God graciously provides rewards. You know, why would we get any reward beyond salvation? And yet he has rewards for us. And so it doesn't mean that you won't be saved. And when you read that verse, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So maybe he does some worthless things and they're burned up. He suffers loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. So he might smell a little bit like smoke on the way in, but he's not going to lose his salvation. It's more what you did for the kingdom that God wants to reward. That's an important point to make. Once we have received Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's a free gift that he gives us. According to Romans 6, 23, he is not in the business of giving us something and then taking it away. And in fact, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise at the moment of salvation, according to Ephesians 1, 12, 13, and 14. So if we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit can't be taken away. That's an important promise for us to remember. Well, going on to Revelation twenty-two thirteen, we find out that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
What does that mean to us? The alpha is the very first letter of the Greek alphabet. The omega is the last letter. That means that God has always been and will always be. He's only called that three times in the Bible, the Alpha and the Omega, and they're all here in the book of Revelation. So we're reminded that we are to focus on our Savior because he is the only one who was there at the beginning and the only one who is there at the end, of which there is no end. So he is the first and the last. He knows everything. He planned everything. He drew each one of us to himself. He's the beginning and the end. So he will be there with us throughout all of eternity. What a great reminder here to focus on our Savior. That's the most important thing we could ever do. So we're about halfway through the instructions that he's giving to believers in the final chapter of Revelation. And so we're told to worship God only, to proclaim his truth, to choose righteousness now, to receive Christ's rewards, and to focus on the Savior. What comes next? Next one in verse 14 is we need to obey his commandments. If we're going to focus on the Savior in this life and, of course, beyond, we need to be about doing his work here on earth. We're told in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The tree of life is eternal life, at least in the Old Testament it is. And so those who wash their robes have the right to the tree of life. What does wash their robes mean? According to the New King James Version, it really says not wash their robes, but do his commandments. So it's a difference in translation here. But the bottom line is those who follow God's word, who obey, who follow his commandments, They are the ones to have the right to the tree of life. They're the ones who are going to enter eternal life. We need to be careful to obey his commandments. Those are the ones who come into the kingdom, the ones who have obeyed his commandments and taken Christ's sacrifice and his righteousness for our own because he gave that to us. Free gift. It's in contrast to verse 15, which says, Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. So there's a contrast there and also a question. When it says outside, are these people outside the gates of the city? It almost sounds like that, but it can't really mean that, can it? It cannot, because earlier in Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about us going outside the gates. So we have the ability to walk freely inside and outside our gates without fear of running into those who are in the lake of fire. The people that are described in Revelation 15 are in eternal hell, and that is outside of heaven. I think that's the point he's making, not outside the gates, because no one in heaven can ever experience or see eternal hell. These are the people that we see in verse 15 referred to in verse 11. Those who've done wrong will still do wrong, and those who are filthy will still be filthy. Those people, as we have learned in this study, are relegated to the eternal lake of fire, Gehenna, the eternal hell. They are unbelievers. They are people who've chosen not to follow Jesus Christ. They may be great people. They may have done great things here on earth. But we're told from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation that there is only one way that we can be in heaven, and that's to 
commit our lives to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only one who could redeem us from our sins to then open the gates of heaven for us to go into heaven. So as we see that in verse 15, we're reminded of what we talked about before. There's no second chances. In this life, God gives us and forgives us of anything that we confess to him, but not in the afterlife. This is the time now, today, to accept Christ, to focus on our Savior, to obey his commands, not after we die, because we won't have another opportunity. In Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus is now described here as the answer. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. So we're reminded Jesus is the one with the answers. He sent his angel to give all this information to the churches. Who are the churches? The churches are those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The ones who call themselves Christians, followers of Christ. He wants us to know the truth, that he is the only answer. The answer that was prophesied in Isaiah 11.1, which relates to the last part of that verse. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That's a prophesying in Isaiah 11.1 of the Messiah to come. And Jesus confirms here that he is that root of Jesse. Jesse, by the way, was David's father, And the Messiah was prophesied as coming through the lineage of David. When it ends by saying the bright morning star, that's not only a reference to Jesus, but it gives us the idea that there is no more darkness. In Jesus, he is the light of the world, and we have that light shining with us forever. He then continues in verse 17 to say, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. That is an invitation to everyone that we can come into the body of Christ. And not only can we come, Jesus encourages us to come three times. He reaches out to touch us because God so loves us, as you stated at the beginning, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gives that opportunity, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. We are all one in God's eyes. Debbie, you mentioned the invitation, and there's an invitation to those who are still not saved, and there's an invitation for Jesus to come. And I think that's really interesting to look at verse 17, where it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So the Spirit and the Bride, which is the church, are reaching out to those who haven't turned to Jesus yet. And so in this last part of the Bible, God is reaching out through the Spirit and through the church. We're to be inviting people to come. It says, Let the one who hears say, Come. The one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires the water of life without cost So through this, there are people who will still be convicted. I'm so impressed with the grace of God all the way through what we've seen in Revelation. He's still reaching out. He's still inviting people to come so that then we can say to Jesus, come quickly. We see that in Romans 10, 9 through 13, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Jesus is looking for here. 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then it goes on to say, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That is so sure that we will have joy and life here on earth and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and teach us and grow us closer to God. We will never be disappointed when we focus on Jesus now or in the hereafter when we get to be with him in heaven. Verse 12 in Romans 10 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No distinction between Jew and Gentile. Those are the only two classifications throughout the Bible. Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. Now there's two classifications, believer and unbeliever. Believers made up of Jews and Gentiles. Unbelievers are made up of Jews and Gentiles also. Those two original classifications now have become people who either believe in Jesus or don't believe us. Jesus wants us all, no matter what our background, no matter what our original faith or foundational faith might be, to leave that behind and turn to him and him alone And through him, then, become part of his eternal church, his bride, that will be with him forever. But before he ends, he warns us in verses 18 and 19, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone asks to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And and believe me, I wouldn't want to be in any of those plagues. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So God warns us here, and this isn't the only place. He warns us in several other places in scripture, like Deuteronomy 4.2 and 12.32 and Proverbs 30 verse 6, that we are not to negate God's word or take away anything or add anything to the word of God or there will be dire consequences. Now that's pretty frightening for those cults and those other religions that have added to or taken away from God's word. They are going to be held accountable for that. We now see in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Now it's not just an invitation for us to come Now it's us who've believed in Jesus who are saying, come, your testimony, Jesus, is sure. It's perfect. It's going to happen. Please come quickly. And he ends with a very simple verse, verse 21, that I see is our hope. And that is the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. How are you and I saved? By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That grace that draws us to God, is in Jesus Christ, and he wants it to be with us all. What an exhortation. What a prayer of his that we will all turn to Jesus. Well, did you ever wonder what it'd be like to be with God in heaven? If so, are you sure you're going to be there? Most have a Pollyanna approach to heaven, just kind of assuming that we'll all be there because we're good people. But that's not the case. What if we're wrong? Once a person dies, it's going to be too late. There's no second chances. Now is the time to turn to Jesus. He's standing at the door knocking. 
so that we'll open the doors of our heart. He tells us in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. All we have to do when we hear Jesus is open that door and invite him into our lives. Will you do that today? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.